let's get started with, uh, with a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the victory that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to thank you, Father, that, uh, that our Savior, your Son, the Lamb of God, died upon the cross of Calvary, that he bore our sins, Father, that he paid the penalty. And we thank you that we can all gather as a church this morning to remember that great sacrifice, Father. We just want to come before you now and sit before your word. And as we do, Father, we just pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would guide us as we look into your word. We do pray, O oh Lord, that you will strengthen me to speak the word in truth and love. And also, Lord, to, that it would be relevant and applicable, Lord, to each heart. We pray for everyone, Lord, here who is, uh, who is listening, that their, their hearts and minds might be tuned to the word, that they might be prepared, Lord, to receive the word and, and be able to apply it in their lives. We thank you, Father, again for this time. We thank you for our Savior. We thank you for the word of God. And as we sit before it, we pray, Lord, for your hand upon us. We ask in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we just sang the song, Oh, Victory in Jesus, My Savior Forever. And, um, uh, you know, and certainly the, you know, the, the, when we read through the word of God, we find that, you know, what God desires for us is to have a, a victorious Christian life. Uh, and yet, as we go through uh, this continuing situation that we're in, um, you know, it's sometimes very easy for us to wonder, you know, are we really having a victorious life? And that's a question I want to, uh, I want to each of us to think about as we go through the message this morning, you know. Uh, is uh, can we really sing? Or, or do we really feel like we are enjoying victory? You know, we've been in this uh, in this situation, pandemic situation for several times, several months now, almost uh, five months uh, shut shut in our homes. You know, and the entire world has been impacted. You know, all of the regular events of our life are impacted. Um, you know, everything from birth to schooling of our children, to our jobs, to our travel, to marriages, to the death of people. I can't, uh, you know, count how many people in the last five months we've had to watch their, uh, their memorial services or their funerals, uh, you know, not, uh, you know, people that perhaps we would have been, you know, we would have intended to go and, and be there in person, very close family members, you know, that, that we've had to do it remotely. Uh, and, uh, Certainly, it has impacted uh, our lives, and and as I was thinking about this, you know, uh, uh, you know, I know, and maybe you you're thinking about this too. Uh, is you know, we've been praying, you know, we've been praying uh, about this situation since the very beginning. You know, in fact, uh, uh, this couple of days ago, I went back and looked at the, you know, at the chain prayer list uh, that we had. Uh, I think Jesslyn had uh, orchestrated this in the beginning of March, and we did this for. A few weeks, perhaps, and and you know we prayed. I was just looking at the list of um, prayer points there, and a couple of the prayer points is that the Lord would be merciful and stop the virus from spreading globally. Uh, that's what we prayed for, but we know that's not what happened. Um, the the other prayer point there was pray that um, community spread could be avoided in India, and we know that that's no longer the case. You know we have. Um, you know, uh, almost 3 million people in the country 
you know, as of yesterday night, infected uh, with, have been infected with the coronavirus. Mercifully, uh, you know, many of them, or most of them have, have recovered. Um, and, and definitely that's not a, a big proportion of our, uh, of our population of 1.3 billion or 1.4 billion. Uh, you know, it's like 0.002%. And even if it quadruples, it'll still be less than 1%. But, but it's not about, about how many people are directly impacted. But we know that the, the whole situation is impacting pretty much the life of the other 99% who, who might never get, the, uh, you know, get, uh, get sick uh, with the virus. Uh, so we prayed. You know, people all over the world prayed. And things are not changing. Why not? And it's very natural to ask uh, our, our, the question, why? You know, and, and where is God in all this? You know, we're living through a, a time of uncertainty. You know, we don't know how long this will last. Is this God's judgment? Is God going to stop this? When is he going to stop this? And, uh, you know, it's, it's, look, look all over the world and we see that, uh, that this is a pervasive situation. You know, so many problems in the world. You've got the pandemic, you've got the... The, um, uh, the the economic collapse that has happened because of the pandemic. You got all of the uh, you know the, uh, uh, the the battles going on for social justice and things like that, anti you know against racism and things like that all over the world. You got climate change. We have seems like we're living in a time in history where you know we've never seen so many problems come together. Perhaps at least not in not in my lifetime. Uh, and not in any of yours. Um, and, uh, you know, what is the impact on us, uh, you know, on our current state? You know, and uh, you know, I remember a few, uh, few, a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, the elders were meeting with, uh, with some of the sisters and uh, we were just talking about getting some feedback on what was going on with the sisters. And one of the sisters there mentioned to us that, uh, you know, that, that she sensed that there was a general sense of fatigue and a general sense of disappointment, you know, a general sense of uncertainty. And people are just wondering, people in the church, wondering, you know, how long is this going to prolong? How long uh, is it going to go on? Uh, and, and, you know, I just think about, uh, you know, the vigor and the enthusiasm that we had when this started back in, in, uh, in March. It was a new experience, right? We had the 21 days of challenge and, and that just seems so long ago, doesn't it? Uh, and we miss being able to physically be together. Now, how do we as a Christian, as Christians, respond to this situation? You know, what, what does it mean? What does the scripture tell us? And, you know, there's, there's, there's different broad range of responses, right? You have sort of, you know, if I were to, if I were to put, uh, sort of go to the two different extremes, on the one hand, there's sort of the response of, uh, of the believer who will say, well, you know, God is sovereign, and we just have to believe his sovereignty. And we shouldn't be worried about it. Whatever happens, happens. And, and that's the response, right? And, and to be honest, that's sort of, you know, my typical response to these things is, well, why? Okay, fine. People are dying. You know, um, you know when we die, we go to be with the Lord. Uh, whatever happens will happen and, and the Lord will take us through it. He's sovereign. You know, so that's sort of one, you know, one extreme of a response. And then on the other hand, we have uh, this sort of what I'll call the woe is us response, the woe is me response. Oh my goodness, things are just going to hell in a handbasket. You know, what, uh, how are we going to survive? You know, what am I going to do? My kids can't go to school. They do online and this, that, and the other, and I don't have a job and, and people are dying and we can, you know, and, and so that's the, 
the 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 woe is woe is me or the woe is us response but what does the scripture have to say does the scripture have to say anything about this you know does the scripture give us some examples that we can go back to and that's what i really love um you know about the christian faith and the christian life is that you know we are blessed with the word of god and the word of god you know it tells us that it is it is a uh, it is a uh, living and powerful it is sharper than a two edged sword it is the very breath of god and it's when we go through these circumstances we can go and see uh, you know how uh, what god has said about these things how people have responded to these things uh, that uh, that we can get some comfort and we can get some understanding perhaps of how we ought to respond and that's really what what i want to do today is uh, is really uh take a look at uh, at one particular book we're going to go through a book and that is the book of habakkuk and i think as i as i thought about especially as that that comment from the sisters meeting that said you know that uh, there is a general sense of fatigue and disappointments i heard that a couple of weeks ago and i knew i would be speaking and i said you know what should i speak about and i thought about this you know sense of fatigue sense of disappointment sense of distress you know where do we find that in my mind immediately went through the went to the prophecy of habakkuk which presents sort of an excellent case study uh for the i believe for the situation that we are in and uh, you know and uh, and uh, what we'll do this morning is 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 look look through this book very quickly and we are going to look not only at how should we respond to this situation that we are in but also uh, about our interactions with god you know it's in, it's interesting that in times of trouble you know our uh, and turmoil our interactions with god changes you know and and sometimes we don't know what to do we're wondering what is god up to and that's the experience of the prophet habakkuk had and so before we get into this you know we're not going to go uh, verse by verse uh, there's three chapters it's a short book but nevertheless there's a lot of content there we're just going to do sort of a quick survey uh, of this book and, and draw some lessons uh, out of it but uh, let me just give you a little bit of an introduction to the book of habakkuk it's important to understand this so uh, you know uh, habakkuk is uh, was a prophet rather in the southern kingdom of judah you know the the nation of israel after david's time after solomon's time was split into the northern kingdom of the 10 tribes and the southern kingdom of the two tribes of judah so that was israel and judah and it's set sort of in the late 7th century bc that's the year specifically you know towards the end of the 7th century the years of 608 to 607 so prof the scholars who have studied this uh, all the prophets and put them on a timeline you know have uh, come up with these dates which are probably reasonable reasonably correct and uh, you know i just want to appreciate uh, uh, brother john vergese who um, and you all know i like to bring john into my messages in some way or fashion but in this case he really helped out because he's got these wonderful charts that lay out you know the kings and the prophets and the uh, the prophecies and, and and how they how they line up and and it really helps help help me to understand the book of habakkuk a lot better and if you want to study this i would really encourage you to reach out to him and i'm sure he'll share that with you just as readily as he did with me but uh, and you get to understand you know what prophets were operating or prophesying in the same period of time and and in fact when we look at habakkuk you know prophesied in that 608 to 607 bc period you know he was a contemporary of Jer- jeremiah and he was prophesying during the reign of uh, two kings primarily jeho jehoahaz and jehoiakim who were 
successors to King Josiah. Now, Josiah was a good king, you know, and he was a, a king who started off well and he ended off well. So there were some kings who started off well and ended off bad. There are others who were started off bad like Manasseh, but at the end of their life, they turned around. Uh, and uh, there was uh, other kings who, who started off good and ended up bad. You know, all, all kinds of different combinations. But Josiah was a, was a really good king. You know, he came in as a, as a young child, as a, if, you, if you know that story, if you don't, I encourage you to go read it up, uh, you know, in the book of Kings. And, uh, and he abolished the idolatry. You know, the land uh, was, was beset by idolatry. He abolished idolatry. He restored the law uh, and the worship in the temple. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, Josiah had sort of a premature death. He went into a battle that perhaps he shouldn't have, and he was killed in battle. Uh, and that happened around 609 BC. And right after that, his son Jehoahaz succeeds him for a short period of about three months. And then another son, Jehoiakim, succeeds him. Uh, and the nation quickly, very quickly and rapidly went back into its evil ways, returned back into the evil ways. And so this period is set sort of before the captivity uh, of the, and the exile to Babylon uh, that happened in the time of Daniel. So you remember Daniel and his friends were picked up from the land uh, of Judah and taken uh, to Babylon. So this prophecy is sort of set a few years before that. We'll come back to this, this later. Uh, and in this prophecy, uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting dialogue. And there's only two actors or two characters that show up in this, um, uh, in this prophecy. And one is Habakkuk and the other is God. And there's nobody else. There's no other you know, people involved in this. There's Habakkuk and there's God. And, and it's sort of like a little dialogue that goes back and forth between the two and it plays out in, in about five scenes. And what I want to do today is quickly look at these scenes so that uh, we, can, we can try to understand them and we can, uh, we can glean some lessons. And it starts off in chapter one with, and each scene is sort of, you know, first Habakkuk speaking to God and then God responding and then Habakkuk responding to God and then God responding back and then Habakkuk finishes it up at the end uh, in, in chapter three. But but here we see that, uh, you know, in verses, the first scene is in verses two to four of chapter one. Uh, and uh, it starts off in verse two in this way. It says, oh, Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not serve. So we see here in, the, in verses two to four, we see a plea of Habakkuk to God. And Habakkuk, and I'll just read the rest of it. Verse three says, why do you show me iniquity? And cause me to see trouble, for plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. And we see here that Habakkuk, if you want to characterize a state of mind, he's distraught, he's tired, he's weary, he's depressed at what he sees around him. And what does he see? He's crying out to God, and God is not listening. And that's depressing him. That's, that's, uh, that's making him distraught. He looks around him, and he sees violence, and he sees plundering in the land. He sees iniquity, and he sees sin in the land. He looks around, and he sees injustice in the land. Uh, he looks around, and he sees that the wicked are dominating over the righteous, that wickedness is ruling uh, you know, and, and subjugating what is righteous that the, the nation has gone away from the reforms of King Josiah and under his sons have just gone back into 
into idolatry. And Habakkuk is bemoaning the spiritual state of the nation of Judah and the sin that's in the land. And he's wondering, why, God, are you not doing anything about it? Why are you sitting silent? I'm crying out to you and I'm daily crying out to you and, uh, and you're not listening. And that's his plea to the Lord. He's just coming out and pouring his heart. In fact, you know, that verse one day, it's, it, it starts off in this way. It says, the burden, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. And, and this is Habakkuk's burden, the burden of Habakkuk. He was burdened about it. He was, it was a weight on his shoulders. It was weighing him down, the whole situation of the land among the people of Judah. You know, and when we think about the situation we're in, you know, and I want to ask ourselves this question, is it, do we have a burden about what is going on? You know, Habakkuk's burden had to do with the spiritual state of the people of Judah, with the injustice and the suffering, with the oppression that he saw around him, not with the material things or the physical things, and it wasn't about himself, but he poured out this burden to the Lord. You know, do we pour out that burden? And I go back to those two extremes of, of how we tend to react. You know, we say, well, God is in control and, you know, we'll just leave it at that. No, you know, the Lord wants us. You know, there's nothing wrong with us coming and pouring out our hearts to the Lord. And he's here pleading with the Lord and he's saying, oh Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Lord, why are you not hearing to me? How long should I keep on praying and crying out to you? You know, and sometimes we ignore these issues or we just respond in resignation. Well, what can we do about it? You know, and, and others respond in panic and worry. And we don't see panic here in Habakkuk. Rather, we, we see that Habakkuk is, 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 is in this beautiful, you know, communicative relationship with God, his father, and he's pleading with him. You know, and I believe that what it teaches us, the lesson we can draw from this first scene of the prophecy of Habakkuk is that God wants us to pour our burdens out to him, to plead with him, to be so burdened that we cry out to him. And I don't know what burden you might be facing today. It might be related to the pandemic. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've got loved ones who are going through a difficult time. Uh, but how are we responding to the situation? That we're in? Now, Habakkuk had a burden for the land and he cried out to the Lord. Are we burdened for what is going on? You know, it's not just about us. We look around, you know, and, and many of us, you know, we are blessed. Uh, to, to get along fine, you know, we, we, our jobs, we do white collar jobs, we can sit in our homes and do it and we're still getting paid. But there are millions and millions of people around us who are struggling and suffering and their misery, uh, you know, they're not having jobs, they're not having food. We keep getting these reports from the various evangelists, poor believers in different parts of the country who are just struggling. You know, are you burdened for the misery of the people around, around us? Are we burdened? Are we burdened for the people who are dying without hope? You know, the prophet looked around. And by the way, these prophets were not some, some, some you know, great men who were called out. You know, they were, some of them, we see, they were just sheep herders. You know, they were just ordinary people that God uh, chose for a special uh, purpose here. And, and we don't know much about Habakkuk. It doesn't tell us what kind of a person he was, what kind of trade he had, or, or what, he, what his, um, you know, his, his life was like. You know, he's just introduced to us and we just read, hear about his burden. You know, Habakkuk had a burden and he poured that burden out to the Lord. And I just want to encourage each of us to think about, you know, how are we responding to this situation? Are we, are we uh, kneeling before the Lord? Are we coming before the Lord with tears and pouring out our hearts to the Lord, not just for our own 
personal conditions, but the condition of other believers, for the condition of the non-believers around us, for the condition of the poor and the oppressed around us. That's what the, the prophet did. And I think that's a great example for us to follow. So quickly, let's move on. So Habakkuk has spoken now. He has poured out his burden to the Lord. He said, Lord, how long shall I, shall I cry out to you? How long shall I pray out to you? And, and you will not hear. And he's, he's coming to the Lord with this, this, this image, you know, this, this mentality that says, the Lord is not hearing me. He is not listening to me. He is not answering me. And here we find God responding to Habakkuk in scene two. And God says, he says, look among the nations, verse five, and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. Now here is the Lord speaking to Habakkuk, and he says, you know what, Habakkuk? Yeah, you're crying out to me, and you think I'm not hearing, but be assured that I am listening, that I am hearing you. And he says that I'm going to do something. Okay, I'm going to do something in response to the evil. Yes, I see the evil. I see the injustice. And I'm going to do something that is utterly astonishing, an utterly astonishing work, something that will amaze you. You would be so amazed. It will be an unbelievable work, something unlike anything that you have seen before. And, uh, and of course, at this point, Habakkuk must be thinking, wow, this is awesome. God has heard me. He's going to do something about it. And then, you know, God sort of disappoints Habakkuk because he says what he's going to do. And what he says here in verses 6 through 11 is, you know what, Habakkuk, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans. Chaldeans was a, another term for the Babylonians to bring judgment on Israel. And, and, uh, and, and to put this in context, so the, Cal the, the, the Chaldeans or the Babylonians were real bad guys, okay, in our, in our modern terminology. And God himself talks about them. In verse 6, he says that they are bitter and hasty. In verse uh, 6, again, he says that they are conquerors. And in verse 7, he says they are terrible and dreadful. And in verse 8, he says they are swift and fierce and they are a military power. In verse 9, he says they are violent and they take prisoners. And then in verse 11, he says, they are transgressors and idolaters. And God says, I'm going to send this group of people to judge the nation of Judah. And, and of course, Habakkuk was certainly shocked to hear this response. And we'll see his response in a, in a minute here. Uh, but here, you know, he had heard of the Chaldeans. And what was happening there, to give a little bit of historical context, is that, you know, the Babylonian kingdoms or the Chaldeans had come up and, and the big sort of ruler of that area at that time were the Assyrians and the Babylonians under uh, the, the, king, the, the king's son was Nebuchadnezzar, who later became king and we read about him in the book of Daniel and elsewhere. You know, uh, under Nebuchadnezzar, the general, they had started marching, you know, north and west, you know, towards Israel and they had gone and they had defeated the Assyrians and they were in the process as this prophecy was being written. They were chasing the Assyrians all over the place and, um, and in fact, uh, they were coming down towards Judah and there was Pharaoh, the Pharaoh in Egypt, Pharaoh Necho, who, had, who was really concerned about them. And he uh, actually uh, mounts a campaign going through Judah to meet the, the Chaldeans and to, and to help the Assyrians against them. And that's when, you know, Josiah decides to, to oppose him and they have that battle in the Valley of Megiddo and Josiah dies. Okay, so, so everybody in, Israel, in Judah knows uh, about the Babylonians. They've been getting all these reports, you know, and, and they know what a wicked, evil people they are. And God says, I'm going to send these guys. 
okay, to judge. And I'm sending them. And, 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 and Habakkuk is like, God, what are you doing? And we'll come to that. But what can we see from here, from God's response? And I think it's very clear that, you know, God uses everything that happens in the world. He uses the bad guys. He uses the bad things that are a result of the fall. There's so much evil in the world. There's so much bad. There's so much injustice. And certainly this is not permitted by God. This is a result of the fall and the result of the sin nature of man. But what the word of God again and again tells us is that God uses these things. He uses the pandemics. He uses the the, the, the leaders that he brings in, you know, the ones that we consider to be evil and, and oppressive and, 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 and have an agenda that, that is opposed to us. He uses all of these things to accomplish his purpose. And we may not understand it. And certainly, as we'll see now, Habakkuk is like aghast. He can't get it. He doesn't understand it. Like, what is God thinking? What is God doing? But we can be assured that God is never silent. That even in the midst of this pandemic, even in the midst of all that is going on, that God is working and he is responding. He never stops. He never takes a break. He never rests. You know, he is constantly working through all of these situations, fulfilling some grand purpose that he has, this broader purpose for, for all of humanity and all of creation and, and the redemption that he's still in the process of accomplishing, you know, the redemption of the whole world uh, and, the, and the building of the new heavens and the new earth and all of these things that are in the future. You know, every event that is happening here in history is building up towards that. It's somehow, in some mysterious way, it fits right into his plan. It's the way he uses to move the hearts of men. It's the way he uses to call people to him who, who he wishes to redeem. But God is not silent. And God is always working, even through the bad guys and even through the bad uh, events that we see around us. And then let's move quickly into scene three. And we see here what Habakkuk's reaction is to the plan. And this we find in verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through, uh, through uh, chapter 2 and verse 1. And then Habakkuk here, I'll just read a couple of verses, verse 12. It says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil. And cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? So we find that Habakkuk, in this reaction, he questions God. And he asks God a question and he gingerly, and he's very careful here because Habakkuk has such reverence for God. And he confronts God and he asks him how he, God, being a holy God, can use the treacherous, violent, godless Babylonians against his people and he's saying that compared to those guys we are righteous I know we're I know we're bad I know we're 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 doing all these things that are displeasing you and I myself ask you to come and do something but God not the Babylonians they're worse than us and and we look at Habakkuk's state of mind here he, he doesn't understand how God can do this he doesn't understand why God is doing this he has in his heart uh, you know uh, he in his heart is thinking that this is not the right thing. This can't possibly be, 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 be true. This can't be the right thing. And he's struggling to reconcile in his own mind what he knows about the nature of God with what God has just told him was going to happen. You know, picture ourselves, you know, uh, if, if, if God, if we, have, if we were in the place of Habakkuk in the modern day and, and we, are, we are 
crying out to God, saying, God, there's all this stuff happening and people are not coming to you and, and people are being materialistic and the world is, and, and God says, you know what, I'm going to do an amazing thing, a thing like you've never heard before, you know, and it's going to impact the whole earth and he tells you everything that's going to happen with the pandemic that's upon us. You know, imagine how we would have reacted, right? That's sort of what Habakkuk's reaction is. And he had a genuine and a heartfelt questions and doubts about what God was doing. And, you know, and this is very often when we go through experiences in our life, you know, we have genuine heartfelt questions and doubts. And I believe, you know, there's nothing wrong with us bringing, you know, I remember eight years ago when, when I lost my wife, it took me, you know, more than a year and a half to, to really come to terms with it. And, and there were many, many moments where, where I had to go and just, just, just question God, like, like, why did you do this, God? Why did you allow this, you know? You know, we were living a certain way. We were doing things and we made decisions to, to do certain things to, to glorify you because we thought that's what you wanted. And is this how you respond? We don't understand what God is doing. But there's nothing wrong with coming to God and asking to help you understand. It shows that Habakkuk understood God's nature. And look at the tone of his questioning. He calls him, you know, he says, um, you know, he, he calls him... Uh, uh, he addresses him with honor and reference. He says, oh, Lord. He says, oh, rock. You know, a genuine doubt being expressed to God with reverence. And look at the conclusion. You know, he says all this and he's sort of a little concerned. You know, is, is God going to, you know, be okay with me saying all of these things to him? And he says in verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what, I, what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. So Habakkuk is here saying that, you know, he recognizes his own inadequacy and he recognizes that, you know what, maybe I'm way off base here. Maybe I need to be corrected because after all, who am I to question the holy God? And yet that was a burden and he couldn't understand it. He, he goes to God. And, you know, and, and I remember when I went through that experience, there were there were moments when, where, when I got very upset and I even got you know, mad at God and, 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 and might have said things that, that, you know, I look back and I just thank God that he was merciful, that he was an understanding God. You know, do you seek God in the way that Habakkuk did? You know, and, and, and go back to those extremes of reaction, you know, where, you know, we say God is sovereign and so we shouldn't go to him and we don't have to worry about it. We just leave it to him and not question it. No, God wants us to come to him. He wants us to have that kind of father and child relationship where we can seek him in the midst of these trouble, we can seek him in the midst of things that we don't understand. Do you seek to understand what God is doing? Do you appeal to the attributes of his nature and say, God, you're a holy God. How can you allow this? God, you're a merciful God. Why, why am I not seeing that mercy? Why am I not experiencing or why am I not seeing uh, the mercy that I might be experiencing? Uh, you know, do we spend time going to God, pleading with him in prayer? when we see things around us that we don't understand, when we see when going through this pandemic, are you pouring out your burdens to the Lord as Habakkuk did here? You know, God doesn't mind. There's nothing wrong with coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, you know what? I know you're awesome. I know you're holy. I know you're sovereign. But Lord, I just don't get it. I just don't understand what you're doing here. Please help me understand. Show me. Reveal yourself to me through your word. Reveal yourself to me as I cry out to you. And that's what we see here uh, within scene three. And let's quickly move on to the next two scenes where we want to spend uh, the rest of our time. And that's in scene four in chapter two, uh, you know, from verse two to verse 20, we see that God 
response to Habakkuk, and here's how he responds. So the Lord answered, chapter 2 and verse 2, and answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. God says, I have a plan. I have a vision. And it has an appointed point, a vision of judgment. Yes, a vision of captivity, but also a vision of eventual restoration. You know, we may think that things are getting delayed. And we may wonder, why is God not doing his thing? You know, and the Lord here answers Habakkuk and says, be patient. He says, it will surely come. Okay, he says, though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. You need to wait patiently. God says, and then he goes on, and I'm not going to read this, uh, but from verse 5 through uh, uh, through verse uh, 14, uh, sorry, uh, verse 5 through uh, verse uh, 19, you know, he, God says, you know what, I know how bad the Babylonians are. Uh, and he pronounces five woes against them, or five charges he lays. And he says, you know what, you, 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 know, you are telling me how bad the Babylonians are. I know exactly how bad they are. In verse 6 to 8, he says, I know that they are extortioners of the nations. In verse 9 to 11, he says, I know that they are exploiters, that they are exploiting people because of their covetousness. In verse 12 and 13, he says, I know that they are ruthless despots. In verse 15 to 17, I know, he says, I know that they are debauched people. They're making people drunk and they're leading them into immorality. And in verses 18 to 20, he says, I know that they are rank idolaters. I know all of these things. And, you know, it, it amazed me as I read this to see the precision of God's charges. And you know, it's quite amazing. God knows exactly what is going on on the earth. He sees all the evil and he sees all the good. He identifies all of the sin and he knows exactly who has done what. And, and he has a judgment plan for them, but it will happen in this time. There is an appointed time. There is an appointed time for sin to be judged. There is an appointed time for the Lord to be returned. There is an appointed time for the coronavirus to stop plaguing us. We may not know it. We may want it now, but it's not in our time. And, uh, and he says here, wait for the appointed time. You know, if you look historically, you know, this vision that was given to Habakkuk, you know, uh, uh, let me just give you a few, few historical facts here. You know, it took two years after this prophecy before the, Chalde the Chaldeans finally made it to Jerusalem. And then they attacked multiple times over the next 21 to 25 years and took away four groups of exile of, of, uh, of Jewish people, uh, Jew, people of Judah into exile. It took 69 years before Judah starts returning to the land under Zerubbabel. And it took another 149 years before Ezra leads them on the second return, 149 years from when this vision was given to Habakkuk. And it took 162 years before Nehemiah leads another group of, of returnees uh, and rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem. You know, God has his own time. We may not understand it, but he has his own time. And there's three directions and assurances that he gives to, uh, to Habakkuk here. One at the beginning, you know, he's talking here about judgment coming to the Babylonians and the Chaldeans. And, and then one at the beginning, one in the middle, and one at the end. And let me just quickly look at that. Verse 4. It's the one at the beginning. It says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by his faith. And this is a universal principle. And you know, this one is quoted 
three times in the New Testament in the context of salvation. I don't have time to go there, but if you go read uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 to 17, it says that it talks about the power of God unto salvation. And it says, by this power, the righteousness of God is revealed. And he, and he says that faith is what causes the power of God embodied in the gospel to reveal God's righteousness to sinners and bring them to salvation. Salvation is by faith. The just shall live by faith. In Galatians 3, 10 to 12, it talks about justification uh, before God is by faith. And again, he quotes this very same passage. He says that the just shall live by faith. And then the third one is in Hebrews chapter 10. And I would like to turn to this one, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 37 to 39. And here, you know, the writer to the Hebrews turns it around slightly, quotes the same verse. And he says, for yet a little while, verse 37, for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Here he's not talking about the vision, but he's talking about he who will come. And that is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back into perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. And he's talking here in the context. He's looking, he's exhorting them from verse, uh, from verse uh, 30, 30 onwards, uh, you know, sorry, from verse 26 onwards. And he says, he's exhorting them against sinning willfully. And he's exhorting them in verse uh, 32 onwards about persevering in the midst of tribulation. And he says, you persevere in the midst of tribulation by looking to your eternal possession in heaven, not on this earth. And he says, do not cast away your confidence. Verse, verse 37, for yet, for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. And he says, you know, do not cast away your confidence. Um, because why? Because you have an enduring possession in heaven. I'm sorry, verse 35. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise, eternal life. And so, you know, he's talking here about, about perseverance. He's talking here about sanctification in the Christian life, that journey we are on to become more Christ-like. And he says, uh, um, you know, that, uh, that he who is coming will come. And he will bring his rewards with him. The Lord Jesus will indeed return. He said, be patient as you go through trouble. And, you know, we, we are so faced with so many, even the, even the people with the most faith. You know, I, I just uh, had an exchange recently with somebody who, who, who wrote to me and said, you know, please pray for me. He says, it's almost impossible. And this is someone with a great amount of faith. Uh, and he says, it's impossible, almost impossible to go forward. This is affecting my own emotions. It's very, very difficult to remain encouraged. And I don't know how to go forward. This is somebody of great faith. And it's so difficult when we go through the circumstances when our faith is stretched. But remember, we are saved by faith and we need to live by faith. And we need to persevere and grow by faith, knowing that the promised return of the Lord will happen at the appointed time, knowing that the Lord will bring his rewards at the appointed time. And that is what the Lord says here to Habakkuk. He says, the just shall live by faith. And the second thing he reminds him of, uh, a point of encouragement is in verse 14, back to Habakkuk 2. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And you know, you can remember, I mean, you can think about whenever you've been to an ocean, 
and you see the vast expanse of the sea. I'm always amazed by that. Uh, whenever I go and, and stand in the you know in the water there, uh, you know, in an ocean or the sea, and and God is saying that a day is coming when, despite all this evil, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God has a plan where He's going to redeem all of creation. You know, what we see in the world today will be changed. All the evil will be replaced with the knowledge of God's awesome glory and the Lord. And then the third point in verse uh, 20 of chapter 2 of Habakkuk, it says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. He says, Be silent. Be still. Be silent. Be still and know that I am God. The Lord is in his temple and the earth should keep silent before him. Have faith. And trust in God. Let him do his work and carry out his plan. You know, when we go back to the, the, uh, the, the example of Job, the same thing, you know, Job starts off with despair. He questions God. He's ready to die. He's despondent towards God. He's complaining that the wicked are getting away with their sins. And then God reveals himself to Job. He doesn't answer any of his questions, but he reveals himself to him. And what was Job's response? Job 40 verse 4, he says, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. I'm going to keep quiet. Be still and know that I am God. And then in verse 4, chapter 42 of Job, verse 3, he says, I have uttered what I did not understand. He said, now I see that I didn't understand anything. And Job 42, verse 5, he says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes have seen you. I have, and then verse 42, chapter 42, verse 6, he says, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 4 to 6, verse 10. You know, these are times when God wants us to come to him. He wants us to recognize who he is. He wants us to recognize that he has a plan and he wants us to just put our faith in him despite all of those difficulties. Be the just man, the just woman who lives by faith and, and be still and see him work. See him work in your own heart, in your own mind, in your own life and in the lives of others. And with that, we come to the last scene, which is a conclusion here, where Habakkuk closes with a prayer, a prayer of submission with three parts. Verse 2, he says, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy, a three-part prayer, prayer for revival and mercy. You know, we need to pray as we go through these difficult times, these uncertain times, we need to pray for the Lord to be merciful by giving us the grace to handle the situation. Pray for revival in our hearts. Pray for revival among the people of God and pray for revival in the hearts of sinners that they may turn to Christ. And then, you know, he goes on, uh, I'm not going to read these verses, but from verse 3 onwards, he goes on to recount all of the mighty works of God, how God led the children of Israel from Egypt and to the promised land, how we parted the Red Sea. You know, we need to remember all of the things that God has done for us in the past and offer thanksgiving to him. And thirdly, he has a renewed affirmation and a commitment of faith and its expression of unwavering confidence in God. And we see that in verses 16. He says, when I heard my body tremble, you know, I heard of the judgment and my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice of God, rottenness, Enter my bones and I trembled in myself. Yes, difficult days are coming. But he says that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will, be, he will invade them with his troop, you know, troops. How, uh, 
Habakkuk here, he renews his commitment and he holds on to the faith and trust in God uh, to build, build him up. And then he goes on to this wonderful poem at the end, uh, verse 17. He says, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fall, may fail, and the fields <coughs> yield no food. <coughs> though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on the high hills. Habakkuk breaks out in praise and adoration to God. And his conclusion is this. He knows that what the Lord is going to do. You know, he knows that the Babylonians are coming. He knows that the things are going to get more difficult than they are today. But Habakkuk says, I can rest in the day of trouble. I know the Chaldeans are coming. I know we are going to go into captivity and we're going to be there for many years because God has revealed the vision to me. I know that life is going to get even harder, but I can still Rest knowing that God is in control. The circumstances didn't change. The trouble was still coming, but Habakkuk was at rest. What changed? It was Habakkuk's perspective of God. The same Habakkuk who was tired and weary and distraught and depressed, he breaks out in this beautiful, beautiful hymn of faith that says, no matter what happens to me materially and physically, I will rejoice in the Lord and I will joy in the God of my salvation. I may lose my health. I may lose my job. I may lose my loved ones. I may lose my comforts, but I will still rejoice in the Lord and joy in the God of my salvation. Why? Because the Lord God is my strength. Because he will restore me. Because I live by faith. Because the just shall live by faith. Because by faith I believe that he, God Almighty, is in control and that he has a plan and he will fulfill that plan at the right time. I know that must be difficult for us to, to comprehend this and understand it and get to that point. But that's what you can see the journey that Habakkuk took from when he started to where he ended this prophecy. How do you feel today? Do you feel victorious? Probably not. Do you feel beaten down? Do you feel weary? Do you feel hopeless? Do you feel, um, you know, with all this uncertainty, is it, is it bogging you down? What do you need to do? You need to draw closer to Understand better who he is, his sovereign control, the perfection of his plan for your life. You may not understand it. I may not understand it. You need to acknowledge his mercy and his compassion in your life. You need to strengthen your faith. The just shall live by faith. This is an opportunity for us to test our faith. And we have to rejoice in God despite our circumstances. You know, and Habakkuk's experience is not unique. If you go to Psalm 86, I don't want to go, I don't have time to go there. But you look at David. In the psalm, he starts off with his plight and his need and his appeal to God for help. And then he, in between that, he acknowledges God's person and power and mercy. And then he, he, he submits uh, himself to God. And then he praises and thanks God in advance of what God will do. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, talks about our trials and difficulties. And I'll just close with this. First Peter chapter 1, verses uh, 6. Uh, to nine, it talks about tribulation and trouble. And it says, you know, why God allows these uh, in, in our lives. And let's just quickly look there. Uh, it says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, 
the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Trials and difficulties are there to refine our faith and make it pure. The just shall live by faith. My prayer is that, you know, as we think about Habakkuk and the experience he went through and these different scenes, that will change our perspective of God and how we approach God and how we ought to draw closer to God as we go through these difficult times. May, may the Lord enable us to do that. So before we, uh, we uh, finish, um, I'll just uh, uh, ask uh, Gene to lead us in the song, uh, number 146. Gene, if you can get that going. Uh, and uh, this is a song that says, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith, by faith on heaven's table land. Higher plain than I have found, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. I want to live above the world, though Satan's darts at me are hurled. For faith has caught the joyful sound. Remember the joyful sound we heard from Habakkuk. For faith has caught the joyful sound, the song of saints on higher ground. Let's pray and then I'll close it. I mean, let's sing the song and then I'll close it. I'm pressing on the upward way New hearts are day every day Still praying I am ground Lord, plant my feet on higher ground, Lord, lift me up and let me stand. My feet on death, let's stable land. A higher plane than I have found, Lord, plant my feet on higher
Father, we want to ask, Father, that you would plant our feet on higher ground. Lord, we need to make it up to that higher ground, Lord. Lord, especially, Lord, as we go through these unusual circumstances, Lord, difficulties and problems, Lord, that the world of the kind that the world hasn't seen, Lord, in a long time. But we thank you, Father, that you are still on the throne, that you see all that is going on, that you have a perfect vision, that you have a perfect plan, that you have a perfect time. I pray, Lord, that we may have the experience of Habakkuk, of truly knowing you, Lord, of having rest in the day of trouble, Lord, because of, of our faith in you, because of our strength and faith in you, Lord. We pray, O oh Lord, for those who do not have jobs. We pray for those who have various other concerns in their life, Lord, those who are struggling to get through emotionally and mentally and physically through these circumstances, Lord. We pray, O oh Lord, that they may be able to have this experience and they may be able to say that no matter what, even if the fig tree may not blossom, even if there be no fruit on the vine, even if the labor of the olive may, is fails, even if the fields yield no food and the flock is cut off from the fold, and even though there may be no herd in the stalls, we pray, Lord, no matter what circumstance we are going through uh, in our, our lives at this point in time and in the days to come, Father, that each of us may be able to rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in you, that each of us may be able to joy in the God of my salvation. We thank you, Father, for the faith that has given us salvation. We thank you for the faith that has led us thus far. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would grant to us the faith, the strength and faith that will allow us to persevere through the difficulties, Lord, whatever they are that we are facing today. We give to you all glory and praise and we commit us, Lord, as individuals, as families, as a church to you, giving to you all glory and praise in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.